Welcome to Thriving Culture. I'm your host, D. Ray Freeman, and my goal is to give you practical tools and techniques that can help change your mindset and get you ahead in life faster. I'll talk with people from all walks of life who are thriving and have overcome health challenges, economic struggles, or even the impacts of systemic racism. If you want to go from surviving to thriving, stick around. This is The Thriving Culture Show. Today, I talk with Tiffany Richmond. Tiffany holds a management position with one of the largest utility companies in the United States. In her current role as customer operations executive, she's responsible for delivering strategic communications to the news media, state regulators, city officials, and customers within her service territory. Her company is responsible for powering the lives of more than 10 million Texas homes and businesses. Now, what you may not know is Tiffany started her career as a customer service rep, it's more than 20 years ago. And we're gonna talk with her about the challenges and triumphs that she experienced as a black woman who has successfully climbed the corporate ladder in a white male dominated industry. And we're also gonna talk about ways to help you stay healthy and motivated despite the pandemic. And we'll discuss the differences in perception of the coronavirus threat between states and regions across the United States. Now, aside from being a wife, a mother, an advocate for women's rights and the equality of black people, Tiffany is also a fan of music in all genres. So we'll chat about the role of music in her personal motivation and look at some of the female artists who are breaking new ground in entertainment today. So without further ado, Tiffany, thank you so much for being here on Thriving Culture. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Let's dive right into it. So I did a little bit of homework. I understand that there's a study I found by Boston Consulting Group, and it's called the Women in Energy Reports, done in 2018. And in that report, it states that um, 26% of the total workforce in the energy sector is made up of women. It's a pretty low percentage. And 23% hold management level positions, which is yours. So that's a pretty low percentage as well. And when it comes to women of color, it's less than a third of that for those statistics. Now, take me back. Now, when you first started in this industry, what made you want to build a career in the energy sector in the first place? You know, honestly, when I started more than 20 years ago, I never gave all those considerations in terms of uh, demographics in the utilities industry. For me, having grown up in an environment where my parents had careers where they worked for numerous years before they retired, I always wanted to follow that example so that I can enter a career that provided stability and, and longevity. And I knew if I went to work for a utility company, that would definitely be my end game. And, and as it turns out, I was correct. So early on, I knew I would go to work for, for one of the big utility companies, either AT&T or where I eventually landed. And so that that's what got me here. In your opinion, why are more women not present in the energy workforce? And what, what do you think is causing that, and especially in, in leadership? And aside from that, are there any tools or techniques that you would give someone who's trying to break through those glass ceilings? You know, right. For me, it's really all about education and outreach. When you think about utility careers, they're not really as glamorous to young people as some of the football players or the, <laughs> the artists, you know, the actors, the singers. And so 
I find that that's a reason why many people, young people, especially those in, in our culture, African-Americans, do not gravitate towards those careers. We've created a stigma uh, around STEM careers, you know, math and science. And I personally grew up just dreading math. And it's, it's funny that I would end up in a STEM dominated industry that I have. And so a lot of that, it comes from when you think about jobs in the utility industry, the first thing most of us think of are bucket trucks or climbing utility poles or wearing hard hats. And that's something that doesn't appeal to females historically, right? So it, it's really going to be our job as professionals in that industry to go out to the young people and talk to them about careers in the industry. One way that my company is combating that is, is we have an outreach program of which I've been leading for the last three years. And we go into the high schools and we talk to students about careers in our industry. It accomplishes two goals. Number one, it lets them know that, hey, I'm an African-American woman. I started just like you and I've been thriving in this career for a number of years. And also it allows me to bring my counterparts with me and they also speak to the students about a day in the life of their careers. And I think that's been very successful. As you know, your niece, Chandler, she's pursuing a career in electrical engineering. And I know that totally comes from growing up in a home with me where she's seen all the benefits that this career has to offer. Very cool. That's, that's very interesting. You know, over the time period that you have built your career, You've seen a lot of things change and, and you've obviously gone through ups and downs. If you had a chance to do it over again, to, to redo, is there anything that you would have done differently in hindsight? You know, now knowing what you know today, what would you have done differently in, in your career earlier? Wow, that, that's a great question. You know, I always knew coming into this, well, I didn't know coming in, but I knew as the years went by, as I tried to promote throughout the enterprise that I've encountered some barriers because of my education. And I've had to work twice as hard as others within my company to get to where I am. And so with that, I wouldn't change my drive, but I would definitely have pursued my education early on. As you know, I entered this career having not completed my bachelor's degree. And it took me a number of years of, of trying to advance throughout the company and getting told, hey, if you just had that bachelor's degree or if you just you know, finished school, you could do so well. So I think that's one of the biggest things uh, for me. I became complacent early on. I had an opportunity to earn great money even without a degree. And so I became complacent. And I think for that, it took me longer uh, that's one of the reasons why it took me a little bit longer to get to where I am today. So I, that's what I always stress to my child is to make sure that, you know, while you're in high school, after high school, you pursue that education. While it's still fresh, you're young, you don't have the encumberments of being a wife and a mother. And, and so that that's the advice I would offer, especially to young African-American women or people of color in general, we have to work twice as hard to get to where we need to be. And I would have pursued that sooner. That's interesting. And, you know, this seems like that challenged you in a way, because companies don't necessarily just give promotions based on a credential, right? It's something that that person is doing special 
that gets them recognized for the work that they're doing. So I, I believe it was something that you were doing special that made that happen. And that's unique about you as an individual. Not everybody who earns a degree is able to excel the way you have. So I, I applaud you for being the type of person you are to not only pursue and achieve your education, but to use it in a way that has elevated you to this position and wherever else you're gonna go further in your life. So I wanted to add that into it. Thank you, and you know what? And I also, for me, education was always a personal goal. And I have heard that a lot throughout my career, but you are totally correct. One of the things that I like to tell my students is, even though my path led me to a master's degree, that's not everyone's path. You can pursue certifications. I have friends who are very smart and have done very well with their God-given talent. So it's been my personal experience that for us, it's a little bit harder to get to where we need to go without having that, you know, those credentials that are commonplace in the utility industry, for example, because it is mostly a technology-driven field, right? So some of that is warranted. Now, we haven't seen each other in a long time. You know, we we moved out of Texas almost five years ago. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before all of this mess, there used to be times when we used to actually meet in person. I miss all of that. (laughs) I look forward to that in the future. But, you know, since all of this COVID mess and since everybody's been on lockdown, just how have you and your family been coping with this throughout all of 2020? It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. That's one of the reasons why I said, really, we actually used to hang out in person. What was that like? I saw pictures. It's been tough. One One of the things that I can say as a family, I think it's forced my family to become closer we're kind of stuck in an environment where we're having to quarantine and really just be thankful for the fact that we have each other to help get through this, this new norm. One of the ways that we're staying connected is by doing just what we're doing today, you know, just talking to each other over Zoom or a telephone call or even text messages. I've been on social media a lot, connecting with friends and family in that way as well. So I'm not going to lie, it's been tough, but it's also been in some ways a blessing that we've been able to connect and just stay together during this time. And it's good. I've talked to a lot of people that said, even though it's a bad pandemic that's going on and there's, there's so much fear, uncertainty that's going on, it's brought a lot of people together in ways that they haven't been before. It's forced almost but <laughs> you start to kind of discover things about the people you're with that, you know, I kind of like you a little bit. I kind of like being around you. Or not. <laughs> or not. I <laughs> uh, love it. Some other things have been happening throughout 2020 that made the year challenging. Of course, early on in the year, we had the death of George Floyd. It's a pivotal moment for all of us. And and it really forced us to take a long look at the world around us. And not only have we had to be more vocal about it, but there's a a lot of people who've remained silent. Now, we, we even have felt compelled to do some things and to go out and march or, you know, be into demonstrations and things like that. You know, I know we've been part of some of those things here in Los Angeles. 
have you and your family been part of some of those things that were going on earlier in the year of the just racial un unrest there in Texas? Yes, unfortunately, you are correct. There, there's been so many things to focus on. The news has been daunting at times. For us, the death of George Floyd really forced us to just step back and just not only evaluate those that we hold dear close to us who are not connected in our inner circles, but our, our coworkers, our friends, and just look at them with a different perspective. It, it's kind of forced me to pay attention to those who have spoken up, you know, the ones who have called me and said, Tiffany, are you and your family okay? I'm so sorry about what's going on. Or those who have remained silent or have spoken up in another direction and have said things that were really shocking <laughs> to me. But ways that we have been trying to just stay active, we participated in two marches here. There was one in my community that was just really amazing that some of the students at a local high school put together. And there were a few thousand uh, residents who walked, I think it was like a two mile span in the heat during a pandemic. Of course, we will mask up, but that was really very emotional and very moving to be a part of that history to march alongside my husband and my daughter. And then my, my husband and daughter participated in a father-daughter march, which was really amazing to see uh, Black fathers uh, stepping up and just really just saying, hey, you know, we need to show that we are united against racism. And so that's been very moving to me. And again, it's been great to see support from those around me in that regard. Very, very, very good. Yeah, it's it's definitely changed the way we look at things. And and something you mentioned about that, not only during that time, is the pandemic also hit at the exact same time. So people were conflicted. Mm -hmm. I, I want to show my support. However, is it really safe to be around this many people? And just at that time, the threat was so misunderstood. People just really didn't understand. How do you get this? How do you spread it? And it became something that was polarized. <laughs> Uh, across all of our country and across all, a lot of the world, but particularly in the U.S., I've seen some polarization of how we perceive the threat of the coronavirus. From your perspective, how have you seen the differences in the perception of the threat from where you are? And I can give you some examples of how things are where I am. Well, as you know, I, I live in a ruby red state, <laughs> Texas. Well, <laughs> It's changing, but a lot of it has a perception of being ruby red. And in, in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people around me, we opened up too soon after we went through our, what was it, a, a month period where we were just locked down. And I think there was such a rush to open the economy up and keep the economy going that there wasn't any consideration given to the fact that if we expose our community to this deadly virus, it's going to be counterproductive in terms of getting our economy stimulated. And so I feel like it's been the issue of COVID has been politicized to the point to where there's not enough consideration given for the health 
aspect. And it's just more of a perception, whether you're red or you're blue or which corner you stand in, how you're going to react to the virus. Even, even now, I heard that a couple of days before Christmas, there were record numbers of people still getting on flights and going to see people. And so we're already headed towards 400,000 deaths by the end of the year or by January. And it's going to be worse come February, March. The numbers are not lying. So I noticed that it's more political here and less focus on the health of everyone. We, we see that in California as well. I, I can remember as earlier this week, there were protests against wearing masks, of <laughs> public protests. Uh, and it, it was ridiculous to me because this is, is something that is a, a, a safety thing, a, a human safety measure. And, and people are using it in a way to politicize or to separate one another from one party or one affiliation to another. It's really unfortunate that that is happening. I do get a chance to interact with a lot of different people from around the globe, and I have not seen that type of thing happening in other places around the world. It seems to be somewhat unique to the United States to have that type of debate, whether or not we should practice safety measures or not. That's kind of unique to our environment. So I'm, I'm hoping that as, as things are moving forward with the vaccines and as that's starting to roll out in different parts of the world, that we can start to see some change and some momentum towards it. But for right now, th things are just crazy right now and all over the place. So I'm glad you guys are staying in, staying healthy. For now, this is fine. We can do this for now. I'm good with this. I have probably an unpopular opinion about the reason why we are where we are with the numbers. I strongly believe if it wasn't touted as a disease, and rightfully so, that was impacting Black and Brown people in record numbers, I kind of feel like there would have been a shift in the mindset of a, a lot of people at the onset. But unfortunately, now, even though it may have started in our communities, now it's spread everywhere. And everyone, unfortunately, is impacted. My Twitter feed is full of people who, unfortunately, are losing loved ones daily. And it's, it's just really sad. So uh, to your point, I'm totally fine with seeing your smiling faces. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to come to California more than me right now. Trust me. <laughs> Same here. Same here. I even, I sent my mom, you know, she's 70, 77 years old. I sent her an iPad and tried to pre-configure it with all those things so she could just push the button, come right online, and we're here talking. She's still working on figuring it out, but <laughs> we did a couple of times. We were able to see each other a couple of times. And, um, what a thoughtful gift. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, you know, it's it just, there's a lot of emotional drain from being yeah. inside, not being around your loved ones. Holidays are going, and these are already emotionally draining times for people. It's yeah. hard not to just crawl up in a ball and just not do anything, which was pretty much uh, what I've done a couple of times during this pandemic, several times. But we have to figure out ways to snap out of it and to remain both physically and mentally healthy. What are you doing? What are Richmond's doing 
to, to stay mentally and physically healthy? Uh, what, what can we learn? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you and Honey are your wife, Honey, are pet owners like we are. So we've been taking advantage of this time to just not only connect as a family, but also connect with our pet. We've been walking more, whereas we got into the habit of just opening up the back door and letting her go outside and play. We actually get out and walk when the weather's permitting and, and get exercise in that regard. Something else that's been important during this pandemic is keeping on top of those doctor's visits. It's so easy for us to to be afraid not to go and just let our health sit on the back burner to everything that's going on. But we've been definitely making sure that we keep those visits and just make sure that everything's okay health-wise. And also, it's great to laugh and connect as a family and watch movies. I mean, I've subscribed to three streaming services. And honestly, prior to the pandemic, I just was paying money for my daughter to use them, honestly. But we've been actually making a concerted effort to to watch movies together, which is something that we haven't done. And I think mental health is very important in your overall picture of health. And, And those are just some of the ways that we're trying to stay Stay active. Now, it's still been hard. The gyms are closed. Yes, yes. (laughs) So physically, it may not have been as strenuous, but just really just being mindful of this time and not really stressing about, you know, the extra pounds. Just try to stay healthy and just keep it all together as best we can. That's what's important. I like it. I like it. You know, Tiffany, they they say it, it never rains in Southern California, and that's partially true. It hasn't rained for most of this year. And um, I decided to buy an elliptical machine since all the gyms are closed, right? So I put an elliptical and you can keep it outside because it doesn't rain here very much. Rained every day. (laughs) 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 So it's been covered up in this tarp, unused. So I'm waiting for the sun to come back out so I can get back on the elliptical. But I did buy one. Nice. <laughs> so I'm hoping to get back on and start exercising again for real. But um, that's good advice. We have to be able to keep that up. And it's easy to forget. Time goes by so fast when, you, when you're at home and you're going through this motion. Sometimes weeks and months go by and you just, you just miss some things that you normally would do. Why don't we switch gears a bit? Now, you and I, if I remember correctly, we have a very similar taste in music. So 90s, 2000s, rap music, hard beats, provocative lyrics, sometimes controversial topics. You know, what's so, and, and besides just that, I know that you have a very eclectic taste in music. You like different types of music, so do I. So what's on your playlist these days? Who, who are you listening to? Wow. You know, my playlist is, is a mixture of political podcasting. And, you know, I have everything from Cardi B to Megan Thee Stallion to Kendrick Lamar. And I even have a little bit of Mickey Guyton mixed in. <laughs> so I just like what I like. You know, whatever makes me happiest at the moment, that's what I listen to. So... You know, when I'm feeling a little 
conscious or, or woke, I listen to Kendrick. You know, if I want to be Sophista Ratchet, I listen to Cardi B. And <laughs> so yeah, nothing has changed on that front, Ray. I'm still the same in terms of my music. Just Love maybe it. a little more politically astute uh, mixed in there. But <laughs> That sounds good. Your know, mind would be the same. When people start looking through my playlist, you're going to find everything from podcasts to audiobooks to Fifth War Boys to UGK. You never know how how, oh, yes. how it's going to turn if you listen to my music. But you, you mentioned someone interesting. You mentioned Mickey Guyton. I've heard you mention her before, and I actually did my research. I did some homework. Mm-hmm. I was really curious about her and her career. So what I discovered is that she's a Black female country artist. And when I started looking through some of her discography and and found some recordings on her, her voice is beautiful. I mean, she's very talented. And and she's done some duets with some pretty large country artists in the past, and she's had some pretty good hits of her own. A little bit of heaven down here. And um, (laughs) well, one that stood out to me particularly was a, a newer one. It was titled Black Like Me. It stood out to me first because I have that book on my shelf, you know, the book of mm-hmm. uh, Black Like Me, you know, yes. the original story. Uh, Thomas Griffin, I'll remember that and I'll post it up. But I do have that book. And anyway, it, it reminded me of the situation that that book talks about. And she really didn't have to do that for her career. She didn't have to make that declaration and to almost to say that I, I'm a Black woman, I struggle, I've, I've had challenges. In, in the past with race and I'm gonna speak up for it. I'm not taking it anymore. I, and she hadn't done that before. And that's a very risky move for a person's career to portray yourself in, in that way. It could get you either, either blacklisted or, or thought of in a particular way of being hard to work with. So I I, I mean, there's, there's obviously no way that you could hide your ethnicity. So, by her doing this, it exposed her in a way that made her so vulnerable. It made me a fan of her. And so I thank you for for even bringing her uh, to my attention because that's how we discover great artists is someone right. points them out. And you know, you go, go back and start doing your research and like, wow, that person is really good. So that was my discovery of Mickey Guyton, thanks to you. How did you discover her and she come into your understanding of her as an artist? I've known her father for the majority of my career. He's a retired officer of our company. And, and so I had an opportunity to know her father very well. Great guy, great family. And I remember one day going to his office and he was just so excited to play a little snippet of his daughter's song. And I remember at that time thinking, wow, that's amazing that not only does she have a beautiful voice, but she is a country artist. And I just love that. I've always been one who loves people who are not stuck in a box. And and so I I really admired that. I was first exposed to her music in that regard. And she even had performed a concert for us at our company one time uh, for a little fundraising event we did for the United Way. So that's how I became exposed to her as an artist. And I remember her father posting something recently about the Country Music Awards and just talking about her latest album, Black Like Me. And I 
listen to it. And I was really amazed. It's a beautiful song, but what unites us as African-Americans is not only what's on the surface, but it's the struggles that we all encounter, right? And I just think this beautiful woman who came from this amazing two-parent home, you know, her father's an engineer, you know, there's nothing stereotypical about this family. And she still has those same challenges with race that we all have. And so I think that's another thing that really resonated with me in terms of that song and just listening to it. It's like she's telling the world, yes, I'm, you know, at this point an accomplished artist, but I see the struggles that are impacting people like me. And this, I want to tell you how I feel about it. And I am really just so happy that she did that. I'm so happy for her success. I know that there were several people in the industry who told her not to put the song out, told her it would kill her career. And it's really a testament to her beliefs and her upbringing, in my opinion, that she still stood her ground, released it. And now that song is a blessing to the world. And so I'm really glad that you took the time to listen to it and just learn a little bit about her story. I just think it's great. And I just think the world of her and her family. And so. Okay. And and John Howard Griffin is the novelist who wrote the original book. And and that story that that resonated with me. My my mother had that book when I was growing up. And I I remember reading that or, or having that in the house and then, you know, reading that early on. Just so, so the title stuck out to me right away. Like I, I know the concept of what that means, of what that yes. title means, what those words mean. You know, very proud of her as an artist, and excited to see where she's going to go in the future. Yes, it's great. Cool. So, Tiffany, it's been outstanding speaking with you today. Well, Tony and I, we miss you a lot, and Larry and Chan as well. We miss you guys too. Oh, so much, so much. You know, we can't wait until the world is safe again and we're able to travel again and to just do the things that we used to do. You know, so until then, what's next? What's next? What's coming up for you in this new year? Anything that you can share with us that is on your horizon that you're planning for? 2021? You know, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I'm excited to start a new year and just to see what 2021 holds. As a parent, I'm a little selfish and, and sad that my daughter hopefully will have an opportunity to venture out into college. Uh, she's been doing her studies here online. So her senior year already got hijacked. So I'm hoping that she will get the college experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to starting that new chapter of being a semi-empty nester <laughs> with my husband and just really just cherishing each day and just continuing to thrive in, in my communities. It's been kind of tough in the business that I'm in, not being able to go out and connect with the people in the communities who I am responsible for supporting. That's a big part of my job and being in sort of a public relations type position. And so I'm looking forward to just jumping in and just 
just doing the best that I can for for my cities, for myself, and connecting with family and friends. That's right. I like it. Now, Tiffany, before we get out of here, <laughs> can you share with our audience just a few words of wisdom? Like, what are what are Tiffany's tips for living your best life in 2021? You know, I would say continue to focus on your goals and do not give up. If you are told no, you know, once, twice, three times, then go ask for feedback, you know, and learn from your mistakes or your opportunities and just really use that to just grow as a person. It it sounds hokey, but sometimes things in life are really all about timing. And, And so, That's what I always like to tell my daughter and and the students who I told you I periodically talk to is just focus on your goals and always be open to feedback and growing. Awesome. That is great advice. Tiffany, I can't thank you enough for joining our show today. As you know, it's, it's our goal to highlight amazing people and share their mindset, tools, techniques, and just get a, a broad and diverse perspective on life from from different people. I hope that you'll come back and talk to us again in the future. Um, It's it's been so great speaking with you. Um, Will you come back and talk to us again one day? Of course, I would love to come back and talk to you about a post-COVID whatever. (laughs) I would love to to host you and Honey here in the great state of Texas and just have fun listening to all kinds of music together. Oh yeah, It's, it's coming, it's coming back, it's coming back. Well, again, Tiffany, thank you so much. And to our audience, thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you today. And if it did, hit the subscribe button. We'd like to hear from you. Or you can write us a review. It helps us to get found by more people. And if there are more people who are just like you, please let them know about this. Because the more people hear this message, the more we create a thriving culture. I'm D. Ray Freeman. Thank you for joining us.